Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today on this heist, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. And Bill Graham. Woo! Yeah, and it's just the three of us. No guests or nothing. Is it, has it been a while since it's just been the three of us? I honestly don't no, know anymore. No, two podcasts ago. Two Maybe. podcasts ago? That's like two weeks, though. That's a while. <laughs> I mean, I guess considering we've done two podcasts in the last two days. So. Yeah, uh, less than twenty-four hours apart. Yes, sir. Almost too much of both of you, but <laughs> that's what award season does. <sighs> hey, award we got season. first screeners. It's in full swing. Oh <laughs> yeah, baby! I get to watch the wife, we the animals, American animals, the rider. It's a little. Uh, Inside I, I, baseball shit for you, uh, ladies and gentlemen at home. I don't think I've gotten anything yet. <laughs> really? I got one. What about the rest of them? <laughs> oh shit! Being in DC finally pays off, baby. <laughs> yeah. How about that? You're you're just gonna just hit us in the face with that shit, aren't just you? Just gonna gloat my way all the way to awards season. <laughs> Have fun drowning in screeners. I already feel like I'm drowning. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, it starts hot and heavy. Everyone, wait, everyone wait listening, get the Magnolia pack. Holy <laughs> shit, oh, man! Everyone listening at home might be aware that uh, my daughter is currently in Texas, so I have more free time than I usually do. So that's why I was able to see two movies in theaters this uh, this week. And uh, also, I've got all those screeners, and then I have another screener that uh, I got given for a possible interview, and like that should be good news for me. But I'm just like looking at all of the movies and I just am overwhelmed and I just wish that I had like a spilled cup of juice to clean up because that is a simple immediate goal that I can take care of. Yes, uh, pretty soon the screeners will turn into your own personal Netflix, and you'll just be like, oh, shit. All right, which um, one of these yep. goddamn things do I watch I tonight? think I'm just going to watch Lost. <laughs> <laughs> is Cheers still on Netflix? God damn it. <laughs> I know that Frasier is. Frasier will always be there for us. Uh, wait, isn't that Friends? Oh, Friends is fucking terrible. No, I know, but aren't the words in the song like, I'll, I'll be always there for you? Just- Okay, I thought it was I'll always be there for you. But no, never mind. <laughs> congratulations, Michael. <laughs> you can tell how much Friends I've watched. <laughs> I watched like the first season and I turned to my wife and I was like, wasn't this show supposed to be good? Like, they're immediately terrible people and I don't want any of them to succeed at anything. One of the best things I've ever read about is uh, Friends um, l- existing in a world where 9-11 never happened it's a, it's a great piece I, I can't remember 
who wrote it. Maybe just Google that and you'll find it. Yeah, just <laughs> Google yeah, Friends someone... 9-11 and see what happens. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> or no, even better, Friends 9-11 never happened. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. Uh, We're digging it. We're digging it all the way to the bottom. Control demolition. Fire doesn't melt steel beams. <laughs> Tower seven. Anyway, um, we're here today not to talk about screeners, nineties TV shows, or internet conspiracies, even though, as we all know, the earth is flat. Um we're here today to talk about two movies, both alike in dignity. And <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to those just after we do the usual house cleaning stuff up front. Follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It's really great if you do that. Email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Patreon, patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. You get access to our Slack channel where you can talk with us and other people about movies and life. We have various channels set up for TV and I was going to say radio. I don't think we have that yet. <laughs> radio dramas no. have yet to make a comeback. <laughs> anyway, um, so do that. For as little as $1 an episode, you help us create great content and do awesome shit. That is it. Um, that's it in terms of stuff about that. Let me remind everyone also that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day there are beautiful, cultured curators bring you a new film to watch uh yesterday we had pontypool and today we have wild plants from switzerland i honestly don't know what this is about honestly the synopsis says a film that takes us to urban gardens in post-industrial detroit to native american philosopher milo yellow hair in wounded knee to the wild plantations of zurich's legendary gorilla gardener maurice maggie and to the innovative horticulture co cooperative uh, ooh, something in French. Le Yarden de Cognac in Geneva. So yeah, interesting. Actually, that sounds super good. So the, check the that out. The first sentence online is, gardening is refreshingly reinterpreted as a punk anti-establishment movement in yeah. this lively globetrotting documentary. See, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, like, you know. As far as things that I never thought about that now I can only think about, that's one of them. <laughs> also, it's October, so we've got their Horrific October series going on, in addition to all the previous series they had, such as Chinese Independence, where you can watch uh, Hu Zhu's Mothers, amongst many not others. Not Mother. No, not Mother. <laughs> mothers. That's the sequel to Mother, right? I, I assume <laughs> so. Less like alien leads into aliens. Mother leads into mothers. <laughs> Which leads oh, into mothers boy. to the third power. Anyway, if you would like a free 30-day trial of movies, check out <laughs> what they've got going on. You can get that by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Before we get into our feature review of The Old Man and the Gun, the newest film from writer-director David Lowry. We've got Bill Graham here with a special report coming live from multiplexes yeah, across Eddie, the country. Yeah, the Eddie Brock report. <laughs> Bill Graham, uh, our own Eddie Brock-like disheveled, angry journalist. <laughs> <laughs> 
You saw Venom. Yes, I did. Why? Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you you can't you can't pass up a movie like this with Tom Hardy at the lead. You just you just can't. You got to go see Tom Hardy. Um, Cinematography he rides the hell by out of a motorcycle. Matthew Libatique. Yes. Directed indeed. by the director of Gangster Squad. Uh, I would prefer it if you said uh, director of Zombieland, because that that's really true. what I was like. You know, if if you're going to make a movie like this, that's what you're hoping to get out of a movie like this is is some Zombieland level like entertainment. And it doesn't have any of that. <laughs> um, so truly, it is more like the movie from the director of Gangster Squad than Zombieland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, this film, what I had heard coming in was basically that Tom Hardy was was in a film of his own and they kind of everybody else is kind of playing it straight and he's the only one really kind of having a ball with it. And it, it does hold true. I think he's definitely having a blast. Um, I think he's really, really giving into it. And from everything that's surrounding him is actually kind of delightful and fun. Uh, this movie is dumb as a brick. There's a giant, like uh, secret facility, uh, space age facility that someone walks in with a key card and Eddie Brock uh, accompanies her. She's sneaking him into this giant scientific lab and literally out in plain sight is just walking him around hallways and like in an elevator that's made out of fucking glass and there's glass windows. It reminds me a lot of Westworld and how like just idiotic it looks when people are walking around and you're just like, really? Like there, there's no cameras. There's nothing like what the fuck kind of place is this? And I also also don't understand the everything made of glass aesthetic. I, like that know, would be maddening to an environment to work in that would slowly drive you crazy. <laughs> well, I guess it's supposed to bring like a clean aesthetic, I guess. But yeah, no, I I don't want people watching me all the time. Like I, I want some blinds, man. Like this is weird. So I don't know. But it, yeah, there's there's that sequence, which is just jaw dropping. Um, she's uh, the the woman that I'm talking about. Why can't I find her name? Um, it's, it's the character played by Jenny Slate, right? Yes, Jenny Slate. Uh her character also drives like a, a fucking Volvo and she's like one of the head scientists. And I was like, this guy pays shit. Like Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like he must pay nothing. Maybe she's um, just not into cars. Uh, you know, she got loyalty. She, she got to drive an Audi or something. Jesus, man. Um, I don't know. Uh, but no, this, this film it, as dumb and as weird as it is, it, it, isn't like sleep inducing you definitely have a lot of fun but it's it's mainly tom hardy just pulling you through this film and he's his just manic energy is kind of infectious um you can tell that like there's a more violent version of this that actually has a lot more fun but honestly i had heard that you can really feel like the corners cut and stuff like that and I don't know. Maybe I just felt like this was a dumb movie from beginning to end. And I just couldn't see what they actually cut out and where they reshot it. I just, I, I 
couldn't tell. I just felt like the movie was dumb from beginning to end. Um, so it is, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I so it holds together better than something like the Predator Bill. Oh fuck yes! Yeah, okay. Not that it's smarter, mind <laughs> sure. you, but it doesn't reek of reshoots the way that that film okay. goes from like midnight to like you know four p.m. and you're like, wait, well, are you not going to tell me how how they got the Winnebago and like all of this other? Where shit? did all the you guns know? come from? Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, no, they they don't do this. Um, okay. We got to turn that into like a recurring phrase on this. Like at some point, like the characters have to quote unquote, get the Winnebago, (laughs) which is just like the random plot thing that allows them to keep themselves in the movie. That's like one of the the funniest bits of the original Deadpool, not to sidetrack too much, but like he's going to like this big showdown and then he forgets all his guns in, in the apartment complex. And so like, he's like, Ah, budget cuts and you're just like yes that actually makes sense like they didn't have the money for a giant set piece with bullets and guns so they were just like how about he just uses the swords it was just like <laughs> okay sure we can do that <laughs> so yeah i don't know uh how many how many stars ah you know out of five <laughs> uh tom hardy gets five uh, put it together with this film, two and a half. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, how's Riz and Michelle Williams? Do they get anything to do? Uh, spoiler, <laughs> uh, spoiler for Michelle Williams, she turns into a hot Venom, so that's, that's something. Oh, I'm sorry. God. Whoa. Okay, yeah. we have to just pause this. It's 717. <laughs> There's bound to be a 730 showing somewhere around me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so brief but yeah she definitely turns into a venom and she has like cleavage and you're just like really is like, it I, <laughs> I guess oh my god is it like the mask what? where like different things put on the mask and they just become like different versions of the mask i i wish because there is a point where it takes over a dog and i i wanted to see the mask version of of that but no it doesn't it, all it does is it like changes the dog's eyes at one point and you're oh. just like, ah, budget cuts. I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't lying. There spoiler. is indeed a 720 ah. playing who, who near me. <laughs> I'm just wondering if we need to actually like, you know, annotate that. Or nah. <laughs> no, nobody, everybody that wanted to see this film already saw it because it made like $60 million this weekend or something. So that's, Oh, well, holy fuck. Uh, it's made $205 million. Yeah. Right. Worldwide. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> be prepared for Venom 2, which also uh, is probably going to star Woody Harrelson. Oh, that's going to be real fucking weird. What, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no way that this movie's going to get made. Uh, a sequel is going to get made. I just can't see but it But they happening. made money on it. Like I know, I know, but they made money on it despite itself. They're like, still making Pirates of the Caribbean films. This is true, but they also didn't have to like reel in Tom Hardy to play this character, who then got fucked over. But wasn't this like a passion project of his? Yeah, but not by the end. <laughs> I'm curious if he'll use the look. It's a piece of shit, and we made money. Let me do it the way I want to do it to like come pull, back. Pull a Logan. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> i mean you know 
I don't know. He is, spent he's, that much money on it. He's getting he's called spent, out as like the only good part, so he might be like, sure. "You gotta, you gotta let me do what I gotta do." Sure. I, I mean, I'm into it. Like, if if they want to do that, go for it because uh, he's certainly the best part. He's he's the heart and soul of this film, um, and he really kind of pulls it and and makes it what it is. But. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they they set the seeds up for for a second film. Um, it's definitely having fun by the end again. Um, I, I don't know. I I just this this movie is such <laughs> such a mess in so many ways. It's it's so <laughs> dumb. Like, and it's it's not even like oh I can see what they're no. It's just like flat out dumb. And you're just like wow, this this is not a smart movie at any point. But it made money, so you know who. How can I argue against that? Yeah. I don't know. Yikes! You can't. Yikes! <laughs> that sentence. <laughs> Welcome to capitalism. Welcome to Hollywood in the twenty-first century. Oh my god! All right. Well, yeah. I am um, somehow, despite everything you said, I am more interested in seeing this movie now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That fuck sucks. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, fuck all right well anyway tom hardy will make anything interesting (laughs) that is true so i don't feel that bad but it's still very weird it's a weird thing to have to go through realizing that like i hear like six just batshit insane things about venom and i'm like you know maybe so does tom hardy not kiss himself I, at one point, people were saying Tom Hardy makes out with himself. Is that not? No, no, the he case? makes out with Venom. So is it Michelle Williams' oh, Venom? So is that yes. instead of? Okay. Yeah. Is it true that at some point she says, "I'm sorry about Venom"? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. No. Like uh, they have a very a very heart to heart moment about like their their connection to Venom. Yeah, it's a uh, it's fucking weird, man. A- I, you know, I, I I started out telling y'all on Slack that it wasn't as weird, but he's weird in this film, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's just everything else is so dumb that like his weirdness is almost sucked out by the end of it, and you're just like, what is this movie? So. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, that's Venom. It's out wide now. Uh, real check, dumb, real weird. Check it out, I guess, to see all that crazy shit. Um, but it's not the main thing we're here to talk about. We're here today to talk about The Old Man and the Gun. This is the newest film from writer-director David Lowry. It is based on the New Yorker article by David Gran, who you might know as the author of The Lost City of Zed, which got turned into one of my favorite movies of that year. And um, this movie is about a, a an old man who is a serial bank robber and um his uh, his life and the uh the police officer who is attempting to take him down uh the old man bank robber is played by Robert Redford police officer by Caf- Casey Affleck this movie also stars Tom Waits if you can believe it uh Sissy Spacek and Danny Glover, amongst many others, including John David Washington, who you may know as the main character from Black Landsman. So, here is the trailer. Hey, excuse me. Need some help? No, I'm good. Let me take a look. You know anything about cars? Uh, no, not really. So, uh, what did you say you do? Well, that's a secret. 
And why is that? Well, because if I told you, you probably wouldn't want to see me again. Who said I was going to see you again? Would you? Well, let's take this place. Say it was a bank. And instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window. And you just walk in, real calm. So you walk right up, look her in the eye, and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun, like this. And you say, I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because I like you. I like you a lot. So don't go breaking my heart now, OK? <sighs> You're not serious. All right, that is the trailer for The Old Man and the Gun. Let's talk about it. Michael Snydell. Um, yeah, Old Man of the Gun is, um, you know, I, I think that what's unfortunate about it is when, you know, when this had its festival release, a, a lot of people have used a, a lot of kind of comfort or comfort food words like warm um, and, you know, classical filmmaking. And, you know, those, th- those things are, are are true. Like it's hard to get past that seeing Robert, for instance, Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek, like on screen, their banter is so natural. It might as well just be two friends who are talking, you know, after a decade or something. Um, and I, I think that everything with them works fantastically. Uh, and even I think in the camera movement and the, how much time we spend with them, I think even David Lowry is a little bit in awe of their own star power. Um, the rest, I think, is extremely entertaining and well done, but also just a little bit slight in how familiar it is to me. You know, I, I think in like terms of tone, in terms of like actual content, and then mostly in filmmaking mode, like especially after a ghost story, this is kind of an interesting turnaround um, as it is more of a return to, you know, the, the very uh, reverential um, 70s style filmmaking of uh, Pete's Dragon and uh, Ain't Them Body Saints to, to an extent as well. Um, so I, so I, I can't say that at the end of the day, I think this is necessarily a great film, uh, with the exception of the Redford Space uh, SpaceX stuff. Sorry, but um, it's it's been a long time since we've had one of these. I mean, you could compare this to kind of a Catch Me If You Can, if you want to get a little bit of sense of the tone and a little bit of sense of just the ease and confidence that's in each frame. Um, and you know, sometimes it just feels good to be at the mercy of someone who seems to have a real command and incredible group of people behind and in front of the camera. Um, so I, you know, I doubt I'll be talking about this at year end, but this is also something I could see putting on and, you know, making some hot chocolate <laughs> and, and rewatching. What a- you talk about like the comfort food stuff and you're like, oh, I just I... want to put on a pair of thick socks, curl up with a labradoodle. <laughs> there's, there's good dog. There's a good dog in this movie, too. Two movies in a row with very good dogs. The best boys. <laughs> God damn it. <clears throat> if any of you use the term hecking, I'm going to fucking find you and I'm going to murder you. Hmm. <laughs> All right. The motherfucker made bank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Bill Graham. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, I think that catch me if you can is, is a good kind of analogous for this film. Um, but I also think that Catch Me If You Can has a lot of energy, and this film feels a lot more languid. Now, forgive me, I think maybe that's just simply because of the main character's uh, age and his kind of general mentality of how he robs banks. Um, it shouldn't shouldn't go without saying, even though this is just kind of the mini section, um, it is pretty humorous how he robs banks because he's just so damned nice about it and at times like he doesn't even reveal that he actually has a gun at at one point someone's like recounting them robbing him or uh him robbing them and they're like so did you see the gun and he's like nobody said he had one and you're just like wow okay <laughs> um you know it, it, it's it's a film that I had fun with uh, my audience that I went to go see this film in the middle of the day with uh, was decidedly older. You know, I mean, it's a Robert Redford movie. Uh, why not? Mm -hmm. um, it was also in the middle of the day on a weekday. So, you know, <laughs> what other yahoos are, are out and about in the middle of the day, except for me. Um, and so what career bank robbers were in the audience with you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should go check my car. Just to make sure. um, no, it's it's delightful, but I do feel like it is a little slight. Um, I wish there was something more meaty to this film, but also I don't want there to be anything more to this film. I think I think it is kind of its own worst enemy, but it's. It's what I want from a film like this, ultimately. Uh, and that's a weird thing to say out loud because they're con kind of contradictory, but I feel like that suits this film. Um, it's small. It's good. It's well-made. It's entertaining. Uh, and Robert Redford is just kind of delightful from, from beginning to end. Like, what the hell? Like, he's a fantastic actor. How, you know, how else do you have to say that? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's it was funny, kind of like sitting there in in a theater. I saw this on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, probably weirdly the youngest person in that theater mm -hmm. <laughs> at my sprightly thirty-one, and you know, it was just kind of interesting, like watching this movie with a bunch of people who clearly had like grown up loving mm -hmm. Robert Redford, and mm -hmm. um, who maybe viewed him as a contemporary. There was just like so much warmth and affection for like every twinkle in his eye and every smile. And even though my knowledge of him isn't as like tied to temporal like reality, I guess, like I wasn't concurrent with him. I like felt that like there's just he's so goddamn good in this movie. Yeah. And he's yeah. just such like I honestly don't think I can't think of anyone currently working today off the top of my head that like has that sense about them that he does you don't you don't Harry think Dean Stanton. oh well wow you it, guys are on, going man. a lot older than i was thinking whoa, whoa, whoa what hanks hanks he's are you saying he's old 
Yes. Uh, well, Tom I mean, Hanks is old. Is Tom Hanks not old? <laughs> I think oh he's God, like the Tom Hanks fight. <laughs> is he not fifty? He was born in nineteen fifty-six. Okay, he's so he's sixty-two. I was oh, thinking God. like forty and below. Compared to Robert Redford now? No, just like, but even like Robert Redford sure. back in the day, just like anyone who has that kind of like rakish charm. Because like mm-hmm. this movie is definitely playing off of his kind of cool hand Luke. No, wait, that wasn't Robert Redford. Um, <laughs> Butch Cassidy? Yeah, Butch Cassidy. Like that, like it, it's playing off that kind of like, like there's a, there, this is going to be one of the main themes of the movie too. There's like a palpable joy in him. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess, like maybe I just don't feel a lot of like joy coming off of a lot of like the younger or you know youngish actors that we have right now. Like, and maybe they're just all ch- like maybe we don't make movies like this. I I know I hate saying that, but like we don't really make movies that like allow someone to do that. Like, Bill, you brought up Catch Me If You Can. Like Leonardo DiCaprio has some of that in that movie, but it is so like manic. That it feels a little, a little unhinged at times. But mm-hmm. Robert Redford in this is just like, he's a guy walking the dog. He's like sitting in the park, <laughs> like throwing crumbs at pigeons. He's sure. just like so damn happy to be here and to be living this life. And it's, I don't know, man, it was just so good. It's so good. And um, I had, I had like a great time with this movie. Like I watched every frame of it. I, I sat there through the credits. I was just like enamored of the whole thing I, I definitely wasn't expecting a ghost story um i was expecting it to be more ain't than body saints i was a little surprised that it sure. was more pete's dragon but like i liked that i you know i like i like this like calm assured filmmaking like making it look easy even though you know it's not and it's just it's just like a pleasure to watch and to like be a part of this and you know I could I could really do like a my dinner with Andre type scenario with Redford and Spacek. <laughs> like that would be fine with me. But like all the extra stuff in there was really great as well. And um I don't know. Like I just it maybe it says something about like the types of movies that we've been watching recently that like there's something really great about sitting down and seeing like an hour and a half long movie that's just so clean and so simple and so well done. And that actually does like give you an insight into some characters and like have something to say. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, I haven't really been thinking, I started off this year really like trying to keep ahead of my end of the year list. <laughs> and now that we've entered awards season, I am realizing how terrible of a job I have done. But I think just from like, the sheer pleasure that I felt sitting in the theater that this will probably make an appearance somewhere in my top 10. Like it's just that good of a movie. Yeah. Take that Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will give credit where it's due. Michael brought up catch me if you can. So it wasn't, it wasn't me. Oh, okay. Um, Although I, I brought it back up, but Uh, I see. I want to give credit to my. I was about to say, wait a second. Didn't, you were the one who talked about Catch Me If You Can. I swear yeah, to God, I, I heard you talk yeah, about yeah, it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, Michael, Michael brought it up initially. So, yeah. I, I mean, like, let's be that. real. Movies about robbers and stuff. This is no triple nine, but it's pretty good. 
Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Just derail the whole podcast. Uh, um, you know, so what did you, what did you make of our our uh, our confession that we felt it was both a little slight? Like, do you do you kind of agree with that? Because I mean, it you haven't really said anything that's that's really kind of, I mean, it's just like a damn well made film, but that doesn't mean that it's it's something that is going to necessarily stick around for a long time, right? I mean, I don't, I really don't know. Um, yeah, I'm curious to... how it how it how it sticks around for well, sure. Well, slight in my head means that it's like lacking something or it takes a look at something without really like diving deep, you know, and, and it's hard to define in my head how something is not slight more than like if I felt that it was slight. Um, I weirdly felt that like American Honey was slight in the way that it it handled that that world of like being a door to door magazine magazine salesperson. But like mm-hmm. clearly it sure. had a lot less slightness when you go into like the crazy lives that these people were living Sure. But I don't know, like, I just don't know what more this movie could give to its story that would make it any better than it already is. So, like, I th- I, I sometimes worry that, like, simplicity and focus could be confused with slightness. Like, I think sure. this movie, as a character study of this, of this one person, and I guess to a lesser extent, John Hunt... Um, is is great it's like perfectly pitched like it has enough of the exploration and the examination but it doesn't bog itself down trying to make that mean more than just like this is what it was and um and so i don't know i guess like you know i'm I'm curious if you felt it was slight like what more you would want from it or what more what you think it was lacking in terms of like theme or character development I mean, the movie takes place over the course of, I want to say, like, a couple of months. And yet it, like, flies by because, you know, it, it trims a lot of the the fat. Like, you know, it, the, the movie kicks off and John Hunt, the uh, cop character played by Casey Affleck, has just turned 40. And he's, like, kind of lingering on the pointlessness of his job. He brings up, like cleaning up messes that just make themselves all over again. And I was really worried that like the movie would, would like focus in on that and kind of give itself over to this dour attitude. And I like how it, it strays away from that. And like, it shows him finding some joy in like doing his job outside of like, just like random stick up artists and like really drilling down and doing the work. And I think that it says a lot about like aging and getting older and like what that means. There are moments when the movie kind of turns away to look at people who are in different life stages when they're at the, uh, the blue Jay cafe and Redford and Spacek are talking like it kind of the camera kind of Margaret, like, you know, wanders over to, to listen to a bunch of teenagers who are on a date when Redford is staking out a bank. He, um, he listens in on two people who are like applying for a mortgage and it kind of, it was like, to me, like a really interesting examination of this concept of like, what is it to live a life 
you know, what are the things that we remember and what are the things that we miss if the thing that we love keeps us from ever like settling down or being able to have relationships. Mm -hmm. And so like, is it slight because those are like minor events in the lives of people that we're used to seeing in movies? Like possibly. Is it slight because it does all of it with like a deft humorous touch? Like possibly. Is it slight because it's an hour and a half long and therefore we don't get like a 15 minute sequence of John Hunt getting drunk and like, harassing a low-level drug dealer and then going out to screw a prostitute because this isn't like a hbo miniseries like if that's what you think not being slight is then yeah but like in my estimation this movie has a clear thesis it goes beyond just telling the story which is what things like this can really get caught up in is just like the sort of um the sort of like biopic disease Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, all oh, this is, it it reads like a Wikipedia page just listing off and then and then and then and then. And this movie instead like finds a very clear period of time, attaches these two people to it with their histories and their like hopes and dreams and then adds Sissy Spacek in and like it lets them live in it and it lets them be affected by one another and it lets the the actions of the world play out as they do. And then, uh you know sends you out the door with a smile on your face and something to think about like the people who i saw this with as i said were older and i i don't want to project onto them but i think it was like fun to them to see robert redford having fun and to see a budding romance between two older actors played with the kind of like lightheartedness that is usually only afforded to like teenagers in movies but also like grounded in their many many years of experience and their histories and then to like see to see him you know just laughingly and happily pursuing this thing like just to see to see a movie where like an older person who's you know as is pointed out to him like approaching the end of his life is able to kind of like say just because I don't have long left doesn't mean that that time isn't going to be good especially because like two of the goddamn previews that played before this movie were about like dementia. And <laughs> you know, isn't it nice every once in a while to see a movie that doesn't paint like advanced age as like crypti- cryptically like creeping closer to the grave. Like he sure. lives across from a graveyard and Danny Glover points it out to him and he's like, "So? What?" Yeah. No. And then, you know, Sissy Spacek says, "You know, it's on your list to do before you die. You better hurry up." And he says, "Why?" It's like, it's, it's a a movie about like embracing the things that you love while you can love them and not allowing the basic outer trappings of age and like your December time to, to keep you from feeling that. And I think that that's not slight. I think that that's surprisingly more than I was expecting from this movie, which could have just been a kind of catch me if you can esque romp, but with an old dude. And I think that the way the movie stays away from focusing too much on that outside of like how society kind of laughing them laughingly views them as the over the hill gang is like to Mm -hmm. the movie's credit. It's like everyone else is looking at me as an old man who likes to rob a bank. What they don't know is that I just fucking love robbing banks and I'm never going to stop. 
Yeah, and I think I think one thing that that it does that's interesting is that it balances the fact that this is a guy that's robbing banks with a guy that's literally supposed to be trying to track him down and stop him from robbing banks. And he's like, this isn't a laughing matter. Like, this isn't funny. And it's that journey for his character in particular that feels almost more important to this film than anything else that Redford does in a lot of ways. And I feel like, like that character arc is, is the most interesting part of the film. Well, especially because like they start off and they're inverted. Like Mm -hmm. Casey Affleck is only 40 and he's coming home and he's like, uh, goddamn a birthday cake. Like my life is pointless. Like this career is nonsense. And here's Mm -hmm. Robert Redford jauntily putting a hat on to go help a pretty girl whose like car has stalled on the side of the road while he's being chased by the cops yeah that's perfect yeah so like you know in and like is that an easy dynamic yeah but like they play it well it's really interestingly done and again like you just have sometimes a movie just has to hang its hat on a good performance and like you can't hang a better hat on a better head than robert redford (laughs) as this movie duly points out constantly yeah so does that yeah, you don't, does that make sense? Does like my reaction? I kind of sure. went on a tangent or a tear. No, there. no, that's fine. I mean, you were the you were the instigation for us seeing this film. I think um, more than anything. So I'm pretty sure I was. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm okay with you having a lot to say about why you wanted to see why you wanted us to kind of talk about this film and go see it. And you know, uh, it's it's easy for me to be able to say this film is slight and then like, you know, say, Oh, I shouldn't have like double, double featured it with like venom. Like, <laughs> like what a fucking weird, like back to back, like, yeah. Uh, it, talk about whiplash, but, um, who is not in venom by the way. Uh, but, uh, no, like I, I feel like you, your impetus and your input on why you really enjoy this film is important because, you know, we haven't had as much time to sit with it. What, Mike, when did you see this? I saw it Friday. Oh, oh so you had, has had time so to I, sit with it. I, I was waiting, honestly, until spoilers to get into why I thought it was slight. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, but no, I, I think your input is, is valuable, Brian. And so, cool. no, I, I appreciated you going off on a tangent because it, it helped me kind of formulate some other ideas about you know, how that dynamic plays out and how much I appreciated Affleck's character, even if I don't necessarily appreciate him as a human. <laughs> yeah, because you saw this like an hour ago, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Michael and I are both like one up on you in terms of having had time to think about it. But, like, yeah, I mean, I really wanted to I wanted to see this movie. Like, yeah, I, feel sure. like I they, only they learned about it in June when I was at yeah, the beach, weirdly enough. And, like, I read the New Yorker article... And then I was like, you know, like, I will go see A Star is Born, which I ended up liking. But, like, I will go and see The Old Man and the Gun, even if we don't talk about it. And so when when we all kind of decided on it, I was like, oh, shit, I hope this movie's good. Um, <laughs> and David Leave Lowry... To, yeah, he's... Look, like, even, even his films that maybe I don't necessarily fall in love with, like, I still appreciate in so many different ways. Yeah. Like, this guy just makes he's just a fucking really good director yeah like he absolutely. really is and like i loved ain't the body saints um 
you know, it had kind of a Malick light quality to it that I really liked. And then I saw Pete's Dragon and I was like, this movie has no right to be as amazing as it is. Mm -hmm. And like, I still watch that movie sometimes with my daughter, sometimes alone, because I just have had a bad day and I need to see Pete and Elliot team up to save the day. And like a ghost story is crazy and I loved it. I still haven't watched it again just because like, I don't know if like I'm mentally ready to do it. Like I need to be in a very specific headspace, but like every time he makes a movie, it feels a little different. Um, but it's always of a piece. He has like a very interesting long view on things. And so I was, I was excited to see this, but there was a part of me that did say like, is this just like a puff piece, like swan song for Robert Redford because Lowry enjoyed working with him so much on Pete's dragon. Like, is this one of the, one for me, one for them things. But then I was like, you know, sure. there can't be a bigger one for them than Pete's Dragon. And that movie is like a <laughs> gorgeous treasure. So how bad could this be? Um, so do we have any more to say before we get into spoilers so Michael can try to rain on the parade? <laughs> <laughs> here's here's what I would say. Um, and I don't want this in, at all to sound backhanded because it's only with him that I or it's not only with him but he's one of the few people who I think it's a positive you know I think that there are a lot of filmmakers right now who really love movies and they are unabashed um, they unabashedly homage things they love uh, you know Guillermo del Toro is one that comes to mind I mean mm -hmm. he's someone I, I don't particularly like but I think David Lowry of that kind of group, and unfortunately, I'm only going to name Guillermo del Toro because that's the one I think of at the moment. <laughs> I think David Lowry is one of those where his his joy of filmmaking uh, translates while also not only being seen as homage for me. And he also doesn't feel like he's you know doing it as as an elitist bag badge of courage. You know when his films like evoke you know. Altman or, you know, any of the 70s greats. Like, I, I say 70s greats because what's so interesting to me about Lowry is it's not even, like, specific filmmakers. It's just the scope of, like, 70s cinema. Like, like that, certain, uh, that certain sense of, like, infinite potential <laughs> that was in so many 70s uh, movies, especially those on the West Coast, coincidentally. But uh, I, I think that this film very much continues that sense of, um, you know, that really almost widescreen confidence <laughs> and not widescreen in terms of the aspect ratio, but just in, in terms of how big his vision is. And that's, that's what I appreciate about his movies over and over, even as I probably haven't loved any of them. I'd probably like Pete's dragon the most. If anyone needed any evidence that Michael Snydell does not have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pete's dragon is fucking amazing. Like that, that you were right in saying that that film has no right being as good as it is. It is an absolute treasure. I, you know, but it is interesting that, that you mentioned that he's good at the long game, Brian, because I was thinking back and I was thinking about how, how much time passes in a lot of his films. And you're right that like 
he is not afraid to to move his film through several months or several years mm. on on screen and i think i think that's mm. pretty interesting um and it doesn't feel like it it doesn't deserve that it feels like why doesn't everybody do that and it's like because that's really difficult to do well that's like, like i was watching um la confidential the other day and um because mm-hmm. that's another movie that like i go to just because it's great and i love it and i've seen it enough that i don't feel bad like folding laundry while watching it mm-hmm. um and that's a movie that like it it is not afraid to like have a giant thing happen and then just sort of like music montage over like many months Mm-hmm. And then come back in. And like, I feel like that's an approach that a lot of movies don't like to do. And I, I, this is, this is something that I've only recently started to like play with. Like it definitely came up in my head after a star is born, which we talked about and which is now on the, your feed. So listen to that. If you have any interest, um, I was, uh, I was watching it and I was like, yeah, he's like freely moving through like great bouts of time. And, isn't like feeling the need to signify it and it's interesting that like not a lot of movies would do that and i don't know what it is but like david lowry has a similar thing where it's like often his his film will like i mean the most extreme version is a ghost story clearly sure um but like this movie like it it flashes up the dates and everything but like it's it's really difficult to like keep up with that it but in general it's kind of just doing that to like prove that it's like based on a real story but like yeah like you know he'll he'll have he'll have Forrest call up Jewel um Robert Redford call up Sissy Spacek and like they'll say like oh it's been a while and he's like yeah it has been but you want to hang out and it's yeah I don't know there's not a lot of signposting for it and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of intimations about what that is or what it means. It's just like a truth of life that like sometimes shit happens a long time after other shit. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking before we get into spoilers, speaking of movies, not having any right to be as good as they are. Like he's doing the, the, the most recent Peter Pan movie. Is he really? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's got like a thing set up with Disney. So like he did Pete's dragon he they, had a great experience with it. Like I, I've, I talked to him about it. Like he, he was like, no, off the record and on the record, I had a great experience with Disney. <laughs> yeah. Like apparently like they brought him in and he was like, I want to do Pete's dragon. And they like, wasn't it that like, they just like cared so little about that, that they were like, all right, sure. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but so I mean, it's well, interesting because like, was, let me see the production. Go ahead. But it's interesting. Cause Peter Pan is like, the Waterloo of every person who wants to make a movie. Like there was there. I I can't remember what it was called. I think it was just called Peter Pan. Like it was in early two thousands or something. And like, you mean hook? No, no, no. That was 2003. There. So 2003 has one. (laughs) That's the, um, I'm looking at it now. The director is PJ Hogan. It's got, it's I don't know Olivia Williams and Jason Isaacs in it, but like Peter Pan's one of those things where it's like it's about a kid who stays a kid forever and fights pirates and there are mermaids. Like this should be a slam dunk, but like everyone fucks it up. And even though I had like a weird amount of fun with Pan by um, Joe Wright, like it is still very clear that that movie should not have been made and probably like got seen by as many people as needed to see it. 
even though I will say that like I just want more Garrett Headland out of that movie. And it's just I like I keep thinking of it. I'm like, no one has ever been able to do like a live action Peter Pan well. You know? Like, why are you trying this? But then I think about Pete's Dragon and just like his you know, his obsession with time and like aging and movement and like the way that things can't be put back and can never like be repeated in the same way. And I'm like, well, I guess if someone's going to be able to do it, like he, it's him, you know, like he's got like the love of pastoral landscapes and the weird sense of like eternal childhood, but also like the continuing sweep of the hands of time. Maybe it'll be fine. And if not, maybe know. we'll get another ghost story out of it once it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was making this at, like, the same time as a ghost story. Like, it, it, he, he, this was his, like, vacation. <laughs> Which is weird, because was it ghost story, like, his decompression after? Yeah. After, he's like, well, I made a really big movie. I should, like, really, like, decompress with the ghost story. Oh, that's well, a if, lot of work. I'm going to just if, take a little break and make The Old Man and the Gun before I, like, get back to work and make Peter Pan. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, he made a ghost story in between post-production of oh, yeah. Pete's Dragon. So so he he shot principal photography, and then he did what most directors do. They take a little break, and then they come back, and they start working on the edit of it. And from my understanding, he basically shot uh, a ghost story from beginning to end. You know, he probably had some some editing to do afterwards and stuff like that, but yeah, he shot it in between films or in between like post-production. So it was just like, hey, y'all got to finish some effects and stuff like that. I'm going to take a weekend, guys. <laughs> it's just like I'm going to go hang out with my buddy Casey Affleck and go make a movie. And he's going to be in a sheet the whole fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Rooney Mara's in it. Yeah. She's gonna eat she likes pie. pie. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you bring up ghost stories, someone's got to bring up the pie scene. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's necessary. It's contractually obligated. Yes. Um, so let's go to spoilers. Let's uh, let's get Michael in here to dampen up this a little bit. <laughs> spoilers for The Old Man and the Gun. It's out now. It's in limited release. I definitely think it is worth going and finding and checking out. And um, I don't know like what its plan is. Sure you do, Michael. Um <laughs> This is a Fox Searchlight film, if I remember the opening titles correctly. So I assume it'll like spread if it does well. Um, and it'll probably get a decent awards push, at least for Robert Redford and probably Sissy's Basic. Or it'll probably die a horrible death because Mandy is taking all of the shine. Oh, Mandy. <laughs> also Venom. <laughs> also, yeah, totally, Bill. Like, Venom's going to sweep awards season... <laughs> cover the oscar statue turn into a, oh, a inky man. black demon creature with white eyes and a phallic <laughs> tongue anyway let's talk spoilers for the old man and the gun Wait, what <laughs> what <laughs> yeah oh okay there's um, a lot of phallic symbolism and venom come on man i i think so there's, <laughs> so there's a few reasons i think I, i'm just gonna bulldoze right over that uh, <laughs> I think there's a few reasons I think this is slight. And I think that there is the kernel of something that's more interesting to me without getting darker, without becoming a larger film. Um, 
I'm at odds with you guys because I don't I don't think the John Stone story is particularly interesting. Um, Who the hell is John Stone? John, John Hunt. Oh, my. I was reading something else. <laughs> uh, John Hunt. Um, I don't think uh, Casey Affleck's performance is particularly interesting. I found that storyline pretty tedious every time I went back to it. And the way that it cuts between – and I, I understand the structural um, – Sorry, uh, similar not similarities. Uh, there's actually a, a smarter word I'm thinking of that I can't think of, but uh, you know the ways that they dovetail and the ways that they are telling similar stories of people at different stages in their life. But I personally didn't find that um, particularly interesting. What I did find more interesting and what I wanted the movie to explore just a little bit more is um, a line that I think the movie oddly encapsulates early on where uh, shortly after robbing someone, uh, the police are interviewing a person who was, um, you know, in the robbery. And she says something along the lines of um, he was kind of a gentleman. And I think that that is a really interesting thesis statement for at least a lot of this movie in terms of like, you know, Robert Redford, um, on screen as well as off screen to an extent, like has kind of played like he's kind of played American outlaws in direct and indirect ways, whether you're referring to, you know, uh, Butch Cassidy. So literally an outlaw or, you know, all the president's men or um, spy game. Yeah. Spy <laughs> game or, you know, I, I, and I mean that in the sense that he evokes a certain like, restlessness and a rebellious spirit that I think this movie finds a really fantastic way of finding. And the movie delves a little bit into that with Elizabeth Moss's character. Um, So we get this idea that there were, you know, children that he left behind and that there is a little bit of, um, there's a little bit, not of doubt, but there's a little bit of ambiguity to a lot of what this film is about and even it, it makes that text by saying this film also is almost a true story is that the exact preface yeah it's that, also yeah uh, sorry Bill, you've seen more recently so i would trust <laughs> you um, it's like this and i think is that, also almost a true story something yeah, or a mostly true story one of those one of those ones yeah but it's like punctuated yeah like that and i i found that really really interesting and i found that really moving in how that relates to how he waits for jewel literally not breaking out of jail and how they play with his screen presence um i'd really like to check what clips um his younger self are in that montage do you guys know those were clips from his other movies earlier in his career weren't they or at least two of them two of the jail breaks i believe so yes Um, but yeah, so that's, I guess what I'm talking about with the slightness is I would have liked the film to lead a little bit more into that. Um, and I know John Hunt is a part of the original story. I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm not suggesting that they need to completely excise it, but I will say that I felt far more engaged with, uh, the time we spent with over the hill gang and the time spent with jewel, um, than I did with the way that John Hunt's character is portrayed. And yes, I did like that he wasn't, you know, um, having sex with prostitutes or, you know, 
hard drinking or as hard drinking as some of our usual detectives and that he's married and seems to be in a pretty stable relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, not, like this is, this is a strange thing that doesn't have a lot to do with anything else, but I do find it interesting that David Lowry has been criticized as a very white director in the past. And um, I'm not saying this was like, intentional or there's a a bad faith or good faith effort but there are a lot more people of color in this film like you know even if they play smaller characters you know from danny glover to tika sumter to uh, john david washington uh it, it is interesting how much more um how they really did want to reflect um a, a lot more sprawling version uh, of like Americana than even something like Pete's dragon did. Um, so yeah, that's apropos of nothing, but it, it's, <laughs> that's, that's the slightness I'm talking about though. I, I just, Wait, um, why do you think that, that is slight? Because I don't, I, I think that the way this film ends is, um, I, I wish it didn't end on a final note of like ambitiousness. I wish it would have ended with um, some understanding of that greatness. And and I think that after after that scene with Elizabeth Moss and um, the scene where he goes to jail and those things, I think those end up on the right side of darkness and give this a pathos that I think the finale lets down a little bit. And I think uh, combined with the um, with the tangents to the John Hunt story, I, I think that this, this is just not the tightest version of this story that I want to see. Obviously, there's a certain, certain irrationality in terms of uh, how I'd actually want John Hunt to appear in the story. And I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get on board with Casey Affleck again, to be totally honest, but okay. I, I didn't particularly like his performance in this in general. Like I, I, I think I had a lot of begrudging respect for the Manchester by the sea performance. This one I, I thought was kind of tedious. Um, so yeah, I, I that's why I wanted to wait to spoilers because I I thought that a number of the parts that showed um, just a little bit of a tilted film than what we got are definitely in like the second and third act. I guess I'm I don't I don't know I'm 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 curious. I'm curious about the way that like you were affected by the ending. Like you wanted to really like lean into more of like, this is how he's hurt everyone. Not, not necessarily. Cause as you said, we have seen that a lot, but I think and that there is more of a ethical ambiguity that it establishes. Um, that I think is a little bit sanitized by the end. I, I think you know, and, and that's funny. I'm saying that obviously because he robs four banks at the end and, you know, betrays this woman that he loves because he has to, you know, embrace his true nature. But uh, there is, 
I don't know. I, I guess I would have, maybe that's why I'm going to slightness as, you know, I, maybe I am going for it in a more stereotypical way and that I maybe just did want it to end in a more serious way to not exactly reckon with his guilt, but at least reckon a little bit more with like what, you know, the myth of that outlaw looks like. But I think, <clears throat> I don't think he has any guilt. I don't think he is a guilty. I mean, like, clearly he is guilty of crimes, but I don't think that like in a moral philosophical sense, any of that weighs on him. No, and I, I know I, I'm saying I don't, I don't want that, but I do want, um, a certain pathos that I didn't get from that ending. The pathos towards whom? That character towards uh, the understanding of this whole story. Um, and again, I don't, I don't want him to feel guilty. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We, we I'm, might be I'm going just, in circles a little bit with this one. I'm confused just because, like, he. I don't know. It's it's just like it's he's got it's it's like uh, every other movie about like someone who just like can't be tied down because he's got to do what he loves. You know, he he's a less murdery version of. Uh, Ernesto de la Cruz in Coco, <laughs> you know, like he, he had, got married once and then he just couldn't stop like robbing banks sure. and, and breaking out of prisons. And this time, you know, he gets closer than ever before he stays in prison. He, um, he builds kind of like a life with jewel, but like, you know, it's just, it's, it's like he keeps finding these little things that like might help him live a straight life, but he just can't help himself. It's not, it's not what he wants. Like he, he's found the thing that's going to make him happy and he'll do it till it kills him. And you know, it's, it's strange that it's robbing banks, sure. <laughs> but um, can you imagine if like your addiction, your disease isn't alcohol where you just like avoid bars or stuff like that, but it's like banks. So you just can't go downtown. Well, that you was can't the... go to like small towns and it's just like, Oh man, like, <laughs> like I just got out of a movie, man. Like I scouted this place out. There was no banks around. And then <laughs> like the little Kirkland, like security thing, like rolls past me. I'm like, ah, well, man, I guess I'm going to go rob some banks today. Yeah. It's like, but but I think like the best part of this film, low key, is the way that he does it is so so different than anything we've seen in so many different films. And like he doesn't really put on a disguise. Like he he wears the mustache sometimes, but for the most part, he just is so damn polite. And they're so freaked out about the situation that they're just like, um, like whatever, you know, and it's, it's that, that balance of like him being polite and also like comforting at the same time, that's getting them through like a stressful situation that they're just like cooperating with. Him. Right. Like in the end, they're almost happy that if they had to be robbed, at least it was him. He, he really sure. walked me through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, and like yeah he he paints his fingers with a like crazy glue to keep from getting prints on anything he's got the hearing aid that's actually a police scanner like Mm -hmm. you know they say how many banks are great what was that i'm sorry i mean i do think those are 
I do think those details are great. And, and uh, again, like I, I'd go back to that line I said, like he was kind of a gentleman, I think is the most interesting line in the movie. Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe uh, maybe a little bit more towards what I want. And now, I, 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 as you guys are talking about this, I am now wondering whether I would have liked it, even if the film just ended, when he's like, I'm going to go out for a little while. like, And, and then it yeah. just did a post-credit thing. Um, and I'm wondering if I would have been more charitable towards not feeling like it took too much of a crowd-pleaser ending. Um, but, like, what I guess uh, I, this is going to – this is a whole conversation. But, like, what's wrong with having a crowd-pleaser ending? Like, what's wrong with, like, ending it on a laugh for the audience who's, like, grown to really like this guy and, like, find his impishness and his gentlemanly manner to be charming? Like, to give them that last little – you know, he, he he's kind of like calmed down and he's living this domestic lifestyle. And now he's like, yep, I'm going to do it again. And he goes out and he once again, like, finds that joy. Like, why is that? Why? Like, why? Why isn't that good for you? Because it was great for me. Because <laughs> I'm allergic to joy. But I, I, it's just honestly... weird because you like want this movie to end in a way that it hasn't been in its entire runtime. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't know if I don't know. I think we I don't know. Even if we talk about the ending, I still don't like John Hunt. John Hunt's like a relatively big part of this movie. It and is, and if you don't like him, that that I, that's why I haven't brought that up because I'm like <laughs> not about to argue that like a depressed forty year old who's like trying to catch a, a an impish like gentleman bank robber is going to be the less interesting character. Like I get it. And I also am not about to put myself in a position where I have to defend still enjoying a Casey Affleck performance. Like, so I'm, I'm willing to give you that, but like you spent so much time talking about the ending. It's just weird to me that like, you're kind of just sitting there like kicking rocks being like, why did it have to end funny? Like, why did he have to be charming again? Like, cause that's who he is. I mean, <laughs> I am gifting you the entire like 30 to 40 minutes that's oh, dedicated to John me. Hunt. Thank like you. I will, you can have that complaint. I will not fight you. Uh, I, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I was about no, to say, have I, we no, lost I, you or I did you just not have anything no, to say? No, I'm just not quite sure how to, how to combat that or whether it's worth combating. Cause like I, it could just know, come down to taste. Like, yeah. And, and you know, this film does kind of border on that comedy kind of appeal. And I think it's one of those things, you know, if it doesn't make you laugh, if it doesn't make you smile, then there's only so much interrogation of that that you can do before you're just like, well, I guess I'm fucking broken. You know, it's just <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to say. You know, it's like if you didn't have a big smile at the end of this film, that's, I don't think that's the film's fault, you know? And, and I'm not saying that you're broken as a person, Mike, but I'm saying if, if you don't, Michael, we want to be clear. No one is saying that you're broken as a person. We love and support you. How come I can see you shaking your head? <laughs> um, 
I'm holding a letter with your name on it, and I just want you to feel safe before I ask you to take a seat. <laughs> oh my! It's it's just one of those things. I think I think comedy is is super subjective, and it's hard to interrogate why you laugh at something. And I think this film just brings a lot of joy with it. And you know, if if you're not going to smile at it, I I don't want to say that that's that's necessarily your fault. It's just. <laughs> It's just not your taste, you know? And that's the thing. Like, the movie does enough work, I think, to, like... What I was really concerned about with this movie is that it was going to be, like... And I don't... don't, I'm not trying to slam a wonderful movie that is Catch Me If You Can. But, like, I was really glad that this movie didn't, like, start with, like, him stealing the bike and then, like, all of his prison escapes and stuff. Like, I was really concerned that this movie would go for a decades long sweep. And I like the fact sure. that it really stuck to like this kind of end phase of his, of his career where he like meets this woman and like has this connection with her and like tries to play it both ways. And then when it doesn't work out, he's like, okay, maybe I'll sacrifice one for the other. And then he's like, okay, no, I can't do this. I'm only going to be happy if I'm robbing banks, which again, that's insane. Um, but you know, I was I was I was excited to see that it like even though it does give his background, you know, Casey Affleck just sums it up. He's like, he's just uh, he's a guy who really likes robbing banks, yeah. and his wife is like, that's it. And he's like, yeah, that's it. Like he seemed to have, like be hoping that it was some like grander thing, and then he's like, sure. no, this is a man who literally just has found the thing he loves and will not stop. And it's it's interesting in the way that like. Casey Affleck has like lost that and then kind of finds it or like at least realizes that like if you don't have something like that it's the best option isn't to like dwell in your sadness but to like just ask your wife to go out for milkshakes and then maybe you'll run into the guy who's who's stealing all the money which was (laughs) I really uh, liked that scene I like that sequence too um I think it's uh I think it's really sad and depressing that Elizabeth Moss right that's that's her name. Yeah. Uh, yes. For Mad Men. She shows up in this film probably having done, you know, several several weeks worth of filming on um, uh, Handmaid's Tale. And is like, oh, so I'm in a delightful, like, like upbeat kind of comedy <laughs> film, but I don't get to play any of that in this sequence. OK, cool. All right. Yeah. And I get to interact with Casey Affleck. Awesome. All right. What if they offered her like a happy role and she's like, guys, I like uh, I just it's going to take me like seven months to work myself out of the Handmaid's Tale <laughs> part. But I really want to work on this movie. So if you could like find the saddest part. But it's interesting because like she's not really a, a victim. She's like, I don't really know him at all. Sure. He's not been a part of our lives. I have my son. I'm living my life. And she's like, and if he gets uh, arrested, I don't want to meet him because I don't need anything from him. Mm-hmm. So, like, you get the idea that, like, yeah, he's thrown some lives into chaos, but, like, those lives have moved on. He is not, as a negative, the worst thing that's ever happened to someone. And, like... <laughs> yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that happens to people after this is they're just weirded out by the interaction. <laughs> like, like I, I guess I just got robbed. 
Like, I don't know how to feel about that. Like everybody else freaks the hell out. And, you know, you have that sequence early in the film when we're introduced to Casey Affleck's character where like the guy's just like, yeah, man, he was just all hyped up and, and just shot a gun. Right. You know? He was and like, he was I was like, like, he's going to kill me. Like, yeah, you know, and and it's not like that at all. And so, like, you don't see these people disturbed by the robbing you just see them just really genuinely confused and just like <laughs> i don't know he was charming like it's like the time that a, a squirrel a ran wish. into me it's like you know like if i had been hit by a deer that would be something else but like i got hit by a squirrel and i was just like i guess that that happened <laughs> and it hasn't really affected me, but it's a fun story that I'll tell every now and time now and then that I was walking across my college campus and a squirrel ran into me. But like, I don't feel victimized by that squirrel. You know, it's <laughs> like it's not. Yeah. What was that? Did this happen? Yeah. Okay. I was on the phone <laughs> with a, a girl I was meeting for lunch and um, I said, oh, my God. And she said, what? And I was like, a squirrel just ran into my legs and now it's staring at me. And she was like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, it's and then it like ran away and I was like, OK, he's gone. And I was like, I I guess I'll see you in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing because I was like, you know, I don't know many people who've had a squirrel run into them. And I just no. I didn't have any like proxy yeah. proxy for like how I should react to that. And so I was like, I guess it's just like I sort of tripped. But <laughs> except for the fact that it was like a squirrel. Then it hit me, mm -hmm. and then it stared at me as though it were my fault. Um, the squirrels <laughs> on the University of Maryland campus are very presumptuous. I will say that. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say about this movie and not squirrels? I'm walking here. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we got New York squirrels on a Maryland campus. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, he he's he's got this thing where, you know, it's it's the bank's money. It's it's not this person's money. And when that woman's like, it's it's my first day, he's like, well, I guess there's a first time for everything. And then she gives him the money and he's like, hey, you're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like at that point, like I imagine that if I were part of like a John Dillinger style thing where like the guns go off and everyone's running around or like a triple nine style thing where there's like smoke grenades, you know, that would be horrifying. But like if I'm at work and someone very politely comes up asked me to fill the like all the money from the cash drawer into this briefcase of his, I'd be like, you know what? I guess fuck it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> They're like, insured. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole point of the FDIC. I just I just also like to say, I, I mean I this is self-evident, but Tom Waits is like a national treasure. Yeah. Like that story he tells about uh, about anyway, that's why I hate house. Christmas. <laughs> 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 so great. Oh, yeah. God. So good. <laughs> like, I, this is a testament to this movie that 30 to 40 minutes of this movie, I was like, meh, meh, meh. but I'm also like, oh, but Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek and Danny Glover and, and uh, Tom Waits. And like, it's just, it's such a charm offensive that I can't really be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not good. No, it's, it's good. It's just, you know, I just think it's slight. <laughs> and you got Gene Jones in there. And Gene Jones, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Who's yeah. having a much better day than he did in uh, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> mm. So any final thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? 
Yeah, take that as a no. <laughs> it was pretty Robert, emotional. Robert Redford, good actor. Yeah. It was pretty he... emotional watching him watch a movie in that theater. Yeah. Like that like they probably didn't need that scene, but they totally needed that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, Is I he will say actually will retired say, now. I don't know. I, uh, let me say this and then we can go get onto that. Um, I will say that it's always the, a delight to see your city represented on the big screen <laughs> as, as someone from Dallas. Like if it's not, it, it, look, New York, Chicago, LA, those are often represented, right? So I'm sure there probably aren't that many people that like applaud in the audience when like new <laughs> pops up on screen, but definitely when Dallas pops up on, on the screen or anywhere in Texas, like people are like, Oh, Hey, and you know, watching it in Dallas, people are like, Hey, that's, you us. know, it's, you know, what's funny about that is, um, <laughs> I watched the extended gut of the tree of life over the weekend with a friend of mine. And, um, there's a scene where they go to like the butterfly garden at the Houston museum of natural history or natural science. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had that reaction. I was like, Oh my God, I've been there. <laughs> and she's like, really? It's so beautiful. I'm like, Oh my God, that's the butterfly garden. Oh my God. And like, I am a person who is from New York and lives in Maryland and like right outside DC. So I see like every Your time all the time, right? Yeah. Every time I see like anything in New York, I'm just like, Oh yeah, it's New York. And then anytime I see like, a helicopter shot of Capitol Hill. It's like, I have literally worked a block from there, but like, for some reason I saw the butterfly garden in a Terrence Malick film. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was there at some I, point. You know what? The best part is, uh, my parents, you know, who have my daughter in Houston, um, not in a hostage way. Um, they, um, they took her to the butterfly garden today. Oh so then I was able to see, a picture of her in there and i'm like oh my god sean penn was in there in the tree of life because <laughs> i have her and sean penn away from each other <laughs> oh gee <laughs> i just want to say something right up my partner it's, it's is fine. terrified He's on of now. butterflies it's very strange i don't know if you guys have I, I know multiple people who are terrified of butterflies and my partner is and it's super fun to scare her with butterflies <laughs> i think my wife is afraid of butterflies in a way only because like she too once went to that butterfly garden and a big one landed on her face oh that sounds terrifying <laughs> close-up butterflies are terrifying <laughs> yeah close close-up a lot of things are terrifying um close-up and shaved <laughs> what <laughs> i don't uh... go online and look for like pictures no, of an, a furry animal which has been shaved like look for a shaved bear it's the most horrifying um brian i'm gonna get something else <laughs> oh my god um, well i guess it would it would no longer be a bear so maybe specify maybe the type of bear <laughs> <laughs> like a grizzly anyway we've clearly gone off track uh the old man and the gun is out in theaters now i have no idea how well it's doing uh hopefully venom it expands. Is as well. yeah venom is also out <laughs> It's doing shockingly well. <laughs> the the people demand it. If you haven't had a chance to, God damn it! If you haven't had a chance to uh, listen to our Star Is Born episode, go do that. It's uh it's out now as we record it, posted, and um, yeah, uh, that's it. That's it for today. We are brought to you again by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. Check it out. Um, go to MUBI.com to see all the films they have there. It's October, so they're going to have a bunch of cool, awesome horror films. 
They've also got a bunch of great stuff that's already there. Constantly rotating selection of 30 films for you to check out. And you can have a free 30 days to do that by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. And, of course, become a Patreon supporter by going to patreon.com slash show. For as little as $1 an episode, you will get access to our Slack channel, as well as a priority spot in all of the movie raffles that our website does. Uh, next week, we will be talking about... What was it? First Man, First Man. and or Bad Times at the El Royale? Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I, I guess so. There was another one that you wanted to do, wasn't there? I, I was thinking Halloween was next week, but it's not. It's the 19th. Okay. Yeah, it's Good closer point. to Halloween. So we'll have a double Funny feature how that of works. Halloween and Beautiful Boy. Is that it? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no. In also, Suspiria at the end of this month, Brian. Just, uh, oh, isn't <laughs> it like three hours long? No, it's only like two hours and 25 minutes long. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a three-hour cut. Yeah, it's going to be like the Tree of Life. It's going to come out, and they're going to have added fifty minutes onto it. By the way, if anyone has a chance to see the uh, the extended cut of Tree of Life, I desperately need people to talk to about it. With I don't think that sentence <laughs> construction works, but uh, I have a lot of thoughts, and I would love to speak with you. Give, so if you give, have seen give it, that sentence to Malik, and he will make a masterpiece out of it. He'll add in some periods. <laughs> put it in a whispery voiceover over the uh, picture of a starfish slowly crawling across the bottom of the sea and it will win an Oscar. <laughs> Except it won't because the Academy is bullshit. Uh, Tree of Life lost to the artist. Oh my God. Never forget. <laughs> oh um, no. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Speaking of 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. That was my 9-11. Um, wow. Uh, what is, we cannot ever record two episodes back to back again. <laughs> Shut it down. Oh, shut it down. My. Wait, yeah, we've already is, uh, said the credits. We, this is over. Let's, let's just just end it. Yeah, let's we've go. got a bunch of great shit coming up. Look out for it. It'll be awesome. Um, let's tell the fine people where we can be found between now and the next time that we half drunkenly spew our thoughts into their ears. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me reading up on the Venom totals and seeing how quickly they can make a new one. Um <laughs> Wow, because, yeah, Tom Hardy signed on for two more of these fucking things. Huh. Uh, I have nothing else to say. You said don't, that we could find you me. doing that, but you did not tell us where we could find you doing yeah, that. Yeah, don't, 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 don't find me doing that. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, where I'll be specking my script about Tom Waits, uh, the Tom Waits character study about him as the devil. Um, and you can also find me continuing to do Hooptober on Letterboxd. I recently watched uh, Blade, and that movie oh, yeah. kind of kicks ass, especially the first scene. Uh, yeah. Wesley Snipes is Follow a fucking action movie god. Like, I, that dude kicks a lot of ass. Okay, I just have to say, we watched it on Netflix, and the last line where he says, motherfuckers always trying to skate. No, some, I skate uphill. Some, some motherfuckers always try yeah. to skate uphill. Yes. We we tried to watch that like four times without subtitles and we finally gave up because <laughs> <laughs> we had to put subtitles on and we're like, wait, but what what is uh, what does that mean? Is that improvised? Isn't that the story about it? Yeah, like, I think that's a thing that he says. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Some motherfuckers like, always trying to ice skate uphill. He's a legend just yeah. for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael, I hate to drop this knowledge bomb on you, but Tom Waits already played the devil in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. 
and wrist cutters, which I realized while I was saying that. <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to combine them into a shared universe. Yeah. Great. This is also amazing that Tom Waits is typecast as the devil. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's got the voice for it. Yeah. yeah. I guess. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you can find my newly revamped personal site, brianjerone.com and dearfilm.net, uh, where I have writing and stuff. And um, thefilmstage.com, of course, where you can find all these episodes. And, of course, you can find me just just uh, retweeting things that make me happy on Twitter, at Brian J. Rowan, because who, who, who needs another voice in the toxic soup that is Twitter? So, next week, look forward to it. Bad times at the El Royale. Bad times watching another Damien Chazelle movie. It's going to be great. And we look forward to sharing our thoughts with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Tune in next Which time. Which one will be worse? <laughs> be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile.